All right. If you have a Bible, go ahead and go to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat near you. Um, Hardback black one there on page 911. So hit hit there quickly. I think it's true. I think it really is page 911. Um, We're going to jump kind of right into some text today. Uh, I think the last month or so, we've been jumping all around with more uh, ideas about our church. And today, we're going to try to get down to kind of the heart of how the early church got to where it was. So Acts chapter 2, we'll, we'll be there in a second. So we started this, this year-long series um, called Clarity, um, really trying to answer some of the big questions in life, some of the things that we need clarity on, clarity of who I am as a person, what am I all about, and clarity in terms of um, who God is and, and what He is all about, and then clarity here at Northwest Hills. What are we doing as a church? You know, we... Uh, we do a lot of things as a church. Um, everyone has some sort of experience with a church. Um, maybe it's today for the first time. Maybe you've been in church your entire life. But we all have different things that we associate with when we think about church. And, and for whatever reason, all of us had a reason why we got up and came this morning, right? You know, maybe some of those reasons were noble and righteous. And maybe some of them were just like, ah, oh, I'm here because I have to be. Um, but we all have different reasons why we're here. And so this kind of first series, we're looking at the church. What is it all about? And, and ultimately, why? Why do we do the things that we do? The why is super important. If you don't have a strong why, eventually there will be a season in your life where simply coming to church on Sunday will not feel like an enhancement. Right, so you're tracking with me? Like if you come for a while and it feels like, okay, I'm coming to church and it feels like a good thing. I leave, I get in my car, and I feel like, wow, my life is better because I went to church. There will be a season in all of our lives where when we get into our car, we might not feel the enhancement that we long for, which is why you have to have a reason beneath simple feelings that drive us to be engaged in a church. And so we've talked about what, what is the big why behind everything that we're doing, because the why will drive us way more than any local feelings. We started with this big argument in terms of the why, and it started with if God exists. And it's a big question. I, I keep saying it every week. It's probably one of the most important questions you'll ever ask in your entire life. Does God exist? And you've got to answer that question. And if God exists, what does he look like? You know, if he looks like this, your, your life will look a certain way. And if God looks like this, then your behavior will look another way. And if he looks like this, your, your life and your worship will look another way. But we've got to answer those questions. And, and we've made the assumption, again, not so much an argument, but an assumption that God does exist. And he exists in such a way that the Bible does describe him as he really is. And because those things are true, we believe that we can open up the Bible and we can read about who God is and how he works and, and what his heart is for, for his people. And and because that's true, we, we read that God's desire is to be with us. And we see this picture throughout the entirety of the scripture where God's heart is to be with his people. And we see that in the beginning in Eden. And we see that through the tabernacle. And we see that through the temple. And we see that through, through Jesus' life, death, and invitation into his kingdom now. And we see that future hope when heaven and earth collide and that space becomes one again. But in the meantime, the invitation to be with God uh, is to be with him now. And the local expression of that or the expression of that that we get to experience is the benefit of being involved in a local church. And so this church, our church, our church is, whether it's the branch, whether it's Grace City, whether it's K 
Calvary, whether it's suburban, whether it's Northwest Hills, God-fearing churches are expressions of the kingdom of God on earth. And so we get to experience this now. And so we're trying to ask ourselves, well, what does it look like to be a healthy church? How do we do church well? And to do that, we've been kind of, I would say, just glancing at Acts chapter 2. And we're going to glance at it a little bit more today, and we're going to try to dig beneath the surface of how they got to the spot that they were able to describe the church as it was. So I'm going to ask that we'd stand. I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And I ask that we stand so we can honor God's word here. This is Acts 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may take a seat. As we jumped into Acts 2, we started with the first four words, uh, and they devoted themselves, and we talked a little bit about this idea of devotion. And this idea of devotion is so important in our day and age because in our day and age, the felt need that most people have at some level is a feeling of loneliness. We're isolated, we're socially disconnected, which is strange because we're in a time where we should be more connected than ever, but we live in a day and age where, quite frankly, a lot of people don't have close friends, where we feel the the need of wanting close friends, but... Oftentimes, we struggle with loneliness, particularly the generation that I live in and the generation behind me. And the key to fighting this and the key to being a part of the church is this idea of devotion, this idea of sacrificing your individual autonomy, your individual rights for being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, so that you can be a part of something bigger than you. And that's what we saw in the church. And and that's the world that we live in. If you want to belong, if you want to be a part of something, you got to sacrifice your own individual time and freedom to be a part of something bigger, to be a part of something greater, right? We see this in terms of relationships. We see this in our spouses. We see this in our kids. If you want a closeness with your kid, if you want a closeness with your spouse, if you want a closeness with a sports team or a group of people, it takes significant time. You got to spend time together. You got to work on things together. You got you to have goals and accomplish things this is what close friends are, right? Why do you have, like, how do you create a close friend? Well, you spend time with them. So if you want to be a part of something great, if you want to belong here at the church, it takes devotion. So often um, I hear stories as a pastor, and they're sad stories. Where I hear people say something like, man, pastor, I just don't feel like I belong at Northwest Hills. And, and that's, that's a hard thing to hear as a pastor because we're trying to do everything that we can to, to create spaces where people can belong, where they can be known. And when I hear those stories, I, I try to push back a little bit and just ask, like, tell me a little bit about your story. And the story is usually the same. It goes something like this. Well, you know, I, my life's pretty busy. I've got a full-time career. I've got a hefty schedule. I've got family and I've got sports and I'm running around here and I, I try to make it on Sundays when I can. And you know, the community group thing, it just didn't really seem like a good fit. And, and so I just, and I just don't feel like I belong here. 
And man, that is a story that is far too often one that I hear and one that I want to push back against because that is a story that leads to not belonging, not being known, and not being a part of the invitation of belonging to a church. I want to read a poem that I, I think hits a lot of people. Um, I heard this for the first time from Pastor Alistair Begg, and he, he, he read this about some of these feelings that people have when they come into a church much like this. The poem's entitled Good Morning, and it reads this. It says, She stands by the door in a porridge-colored suit, handing out hymn books like bus tickets. I pay on entry. Perhaps she smiles when she opened the door for me, but I couldn't be sure. I go down the unfamiliar aisle and sit amongst strangers, looking at the backs of strangers. We are all on the same bus, traveling the same road. Her leathery handbag may be packed with 60 years of love and joy and pain, but I will never know. Instead, we will pass again at the door and say good morning. And I think there is a danger in a church like ours to come in, to shake a hand, to say, hey, good to see you, Pastor Josh, and to sit through a service and to go out. Perhaps you grab a donut and you get in your car along the way and you go, I don't know anyone. And the invitation to belong, the invitation to be known here is that we would be a church that really genuinely doesn't just sit through a service, but that we know people on a level that's far deeper than just the friendly, here's your bus ticket, here's your hymnal, take a seat, see you next week. To fight against that, to be a church that, that exists for something greater, like I just showed up here, there's four things that we're asking, that we're inviting to be a place where you belong, it does start with commitment. To be a place where you belong, the, the invitation is join a group of people to do life with. We do that through community groups. And, and yes, there are other ways to do that in life, but we're trying to create something here that's a simple plug-in. And, and yeah, it's hard. I get it. Like this last week was our first community group, and it was fun, but it's awkward too. It's like this first blind date where you're getting to know people, and you're supposed to be friends all of a sudden. And it's like, you're in my house, and so are your kids, and we're all running around, and Tell me your deepest secrets and prayers that we can pray about. Like, no, we didn't go that deep yet. It was week one, but we'll get there eventually. But that's, it's kind of a weird space. And, and the other invitation is to, is to serve. And the other invitation is to practice the spiritual disciplines. And, and we, we do believe that doing those four things well, and it's a constant for all of us, and they're going to ebb and flow. I mean, even for myself, I mean, I, last week, literally last week, I found myself in the middle of the week going like, I'm not doing the things that I should be doing for my soul pursuing you, Jesus. I need to get realigned, refocused. This is on a weekly basis for your lead pastor. Like, I think all of us need to be reminded of the things that we're being invited into in the kingdom. Man, but how do we do that? How do, you know, it, it's easy to hear the pastor say, hey, commit to these four things. But how do we get to the spot where we want to? where we want to belong, where we want to be able to, to say, yes, when I read Acts 2, that describes Northwest Hills. Really, the aim of my sermon today is to look at, um, look at the underlying motivation that got that church in Acts 2 to the spot that they had, those relationships, those connections, to where they were literally selling what they had to meet needs of others who did not have. Right? Because you read that, and quite frankly, if you read it like me, I just go... Yeah, that sounds fun, but that seems undoable, right? Can I get an amen? Like that, you read that and you go like, okay, they're all, 
They're all in some hippie commune, and there's only like 20 of them. And okay, if, if he had three wheelbarrows, he probably just traded in two for this person who had, you know, no food. But I think about like this, these day and age, like, man, how do we do that? How could I possibly live this Acts 2 description of a church? In order to get underneath all this, I want to try to dig a bit deeper this morning, and I want to see who was leading this and where they were coming from. To do this, we're going we're to look at Peter. Uh, Peter was uh, the, the first leader of this early church, and, and Peter was um, the person who preached the, the big sermon right before this that got all of this started. Um, Paul wasn't on the scene yet. You know, Paul gets a lot of credit for New Testament kind of churches and leadership, but Paul wasn't even on the scene when this church was written or when this church uh, happened. And so I want to I look at Peter uh, up close this morning. There's two very distinct moments that we're going we're gonna to pause here and look at what was happening in Peter and, and really what should happen in me to put me in the spot that would make me want to belong to a church that looks anything like Acts chapter 2. So the first glimpse that we are going to look at Peter is, um, is in the last, very last chapter of the book of John. It's the very last thing that we read before Peter preaches the sermon in Acts chapter 2. And this is a passage that we've talked about a couple times here at Northwest Hills, but it's a fascinating little, little piece of, of Peter's life. So at this point in Peter's life, when you pick up in, in John 21, uh, Peter had been living with Jesus for three years. They're really close friends. Jesus dies. Um, he's killed on the cross. He comes back and uh, he, he meets Peter at least once before. But Jesus is kind of gone at the moment, and Peter's in kind of this weird space. Um, I wish sometimes the Bible describes what people were thinking a little bit more, because we're kind of left to wonder at times. But we have to believe that at the very least, Peter was most likely struggling with a number of things. Um, he, he had to have been struggling with the fact that he just denied Jesus three times. Right? If you know the story, Jesus is arrested and Peter's kind of behind the scenes. He's there and, and people keep asking him, like, you know Jesus, right? And, and he denies knowing Jesus three times. But Jesus sees this and recognizes, this, recognizes that he was just rejected by a close friend of his. So Peter's got to be feeling that weight. Peter's also got to be feeling the weight of one of his close friends, Judas, just committing suicide. Like, think that through. Like, we, we read it through the scripture and we all think, yeah, Jewish, you scum, you know, Judas is a scumbag. He, he turned in Jesus, but... He was a friend too. Like he was one of the 12. So think of what that would have been like to, to have a, a close friend of yours commit suicide. And Peter's got to be wrestling through that. He's got to be wrestling through the fear of the Romans. They just killed his close friend. He's got to be wondering like, am I next? What's going on? And, and think about this. This is something that I don't think we talk about a lot. But think about um, in Matthew 28... We've got this passage that we, we cite all the time. It's a famous passage where, where Jesus is leaving and he, he tells his disciples, it says he's got 11 of them with him. And he says, therefore, go into all the world and make disciples, you know, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And we, we love that verse. It's an important verse. It's a good verse. It's a verse that our church is, is built on. But if you look at the words right before that, it describes what was going on with these 11 people. Literally, the verses right before the Great Commission is, is this in, um, in Matthew 28. It says, of the 11, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So here's Peter, his 11 closest friends who lived with Jesus, 
And a bunch of them are doubting. And so he's got, he's got to be having these conversations with his closest friends going like, man, what do you really think about Jesus? Like he was with us. He did all these miracles. He died. He came back. Like I don't, I don't know what to think. His closest friends had to have been in this weird space. So what does Peter do? He goes back and he starts fishing. And again, it's hard to know his motives. It's hard to know, well, was he just buying time? What was he doing? Why was he going back fishing? Was he, was he discouraged? Was he afraid? Was he just done with it all? Or was he just waiting? Like, we don't know. But we know that he goes back and he goes fishing. And we get this beautiful interaction where he's fishing all night. And they don't catch anything. Kind of classic story of anyone who's ever fished before. And he's fishing all night, doesn't catch anything, and he hears this voice from shore saying, hey, throw your nets on the other side. So he throws his nets on the other side, and sure enough, it fills with fish, and Peter's like, ah, ha, ha, I know this. He takes off his, his outer garments, he jumps in his speedo, and he swims to shore, and he sees Jesus, and they start talking. They have this beautiful kind of last parting conversation. Again, this is the last conversation between Peter and Jesus that we have recorded in the Gospel of John. And here is what we read. We read this in verse 15. It says, When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. So Peter's really sad at this point because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. It's an interesting passage to pick apart. Um, sometimes you get to a text like this and, and there's tons of debate if you read commentators about the meaning behind all of this. So what you read, if you were just to read this in the original language, is you read Jesus asking Peter, he says, Peter, do you agape me? And generally speaking, the word agape is this, is this love from the Father. It's a high level love, the highest level love that there is. And Jesus is asking, do you agape me? And Peter responds and he says, Jesus, I phileo you. And, and some people say that this is a lesser form of love. It's like this brotherly love, like we're a family, kind of have to love you because there's this relationship. At the baseline, we're fellow Jews and we have to stick together so we love each other. And Peter responds and he says, I phileo you. And Jesus responds to Peter and he says, no, do you, do you agape me? And Peter says, I phileo you. And the third time P- Jesus says, um, Peter, do you even phileo me? Do you even love me like a brother? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And um, I want to be careful in my application because, again, there's tons of debate about the meaning. Are these words interchangeable? Phileo, agape, is one really a lot higher? Is one a lot lower? But at the very least, we see this charge that Jesus is giving to Peter. Peter, you need to love me with agape love. You need to love me like the father loves his children. Unconditional love. And he leaves him with this charge. And we're going to get back to this charge a little bit later. I wish I could get inside of Peter's head, though. I wish I could get inside and wonder, man, what was Peter really thinking? How did he respond to this? Was he, was he discouraged? Was he hopeful? Was this like one of those conversations where you walk away going like, yeah, okay, I was down, but I feel good? Or did he walk away just bummed? Like, man, 
just wish I was doing life a little bit better. To try to see Peter's true heart, we need to continue the story. And the next thing that we see in the story is Acts chapter 2. And we see that Peter has this bold proclamation of the gospel. He preaches in a way that thousands of people are getting saved. The text says 3,000. Most likely that's just men. And so potentially you have 10,000 people getting saved. And then right after that is where we get this description in Acts chapter 2 of the church, of the early church, of what was going on. Well, how did the early church get there? What was going on? When, when Peter was leading this, what was the story? How did the church get to that point where they can say, I love you with the Father's love? Where does this love come from? To answer this, we are actually going to fast forward uh, another 30 years and see another picture that Peter actually spells out. And he spells it out very clearly in 1 Peter 1. But I want to tell you uh, what was going on 30 years ahead. So, you know, we kind of opened up to Acts chapter 2. It's brand new. It's exciting. Here's the early church. It's kind of in Jerusalem at this point. But you fast forward 30 years and the church had spread throughout the entire Roman world at this point, particularly around the the Mediterranean kind of north and west. And so it's spread and and really there's a lot of conflict that's going on. There's the Jewish world that exists and and all these Jewish Christians are are at odds with the Jews and um, you've got people who are not Jews becoming Christians, and there's this just huge movement of people who are committing their lives to following Jesus. They're denouncing Caesar as king. They're recognizing Jesus as king. And there's all kinds of social persecution that's breaking out all over the place. Um, you see at this point that there's, there, there's all kinds of unrest. You see that the, the Roman Caesar, um, he hates this unrest. He's trying to get the Jews to be on his side. So he has James killed, who is one of, James, who's one of Peter's best friends. And the, the Jews love this, and so um, the, the Caesar thinks, well, let's have Peter killed as well. And so you, you get this fascinating story in Acts chapter 12 where Peter is arrested. It says that he's arrested, he's chained with handcuffs next to two different guards, and he's surrounded by four other squads of four soldiers. In the night he's arrested, or in the middle of the night, an angel comes to him and frees him from his, uh, from his chains. And Peter's, literally, it says in the text that Peter thought that he was having a dream. He didn't even believe this was real. Till the next day he realizes, wow, this is actually real. This actually happened. He got freed, um, and he gave his life to the church. Peter was one of the primary leaders in the church, and he writes a letter. Again, this is, we're all catching up to this point where he writes a letter. And in the very first chapter, he describes in this letter the love that the church is supposed to have for one another. And we see this. This is a letter that Peter wrote um, from jail, most likely, in Rome to a group of churches. And he writes again about this beautiful relationship between phileo love and agape love. And, And in all my study, I could not find any other text that had these two words used interchangeably in the same little paragraph here. So let's pick up these verses from 1 Peter chapter 1, again, addressing the church and the need to love one another. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22 says this, it says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. So he's saying you have to have a brotherly love for each other. And then he switches the word here again. Peter switches it and he says, you must love one another deeply from the heart. You have to agape one another. And then what he does here is brilliant. It's beautiful. In verses 23 to 25, he describes why it is that we have to have agape love for each other. 
He says this, and then I'll describe, or then I'll explain it. He says, For, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And then he describes the human condition. And he says, For, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Um, I love this little interaction. Basically, you have Peter, and he's saying, hey, you have to have brotherly love for each other. He's writing to this church that's struggling. He's writing to this church that's experiencing all kinds of persecution. And he writes to this church and says, you've got to love each other with this brotherly family love, but you've got to love each other with a deeper love than that because that's not going to do it enough. And I, I just have to believe that he's going back to this conversation he's had with Jesus. And he says, you have to love each other with agape love. You have to love each other with a love that comes from God that says, I see me the way that God sees me, and I see each other the way that God sees each other, or that, the way that God sees us. And here's the thing. He then goes on to describe how we see each other. And it's so, so beautiful, so interesting, and it cuts to the heart of how I believe most often we see each other. He talks about the glory of man. And when we look at each other, we often see the glory of man. And we often kind of grade each other. And we, we see each other like flowers of this idea of this personal radiant glory. Like when we see each other, we often ask, well, you know, do you have the right job? Do you have the right house? Do you live in the right neighborhood? Do you drive the right car? Are your kids excelling, right? Are they tag kids? Are they IEP kids? Is your garden organic enough? Are you married? Is your marriage strong? Are you divorced? Are you single? You know, do you read the right books? Do you listen to the right podcasts? Do you watch the right shows? Do you have a GED? You only have a P- do you have a PhD? Like, are you talented in the things that I'm interested in? Are you good to look at? Right? Are you attractive? And I, I think that when we see each other, we see personal glory. I think you all know what I'm talking about. It's so easy to hang around someone who has high personal glory. Right? And when we hang around people who, who are just killing it on all the levels that we kind of like to rate people, it's easy to hang out with them. Right? You know what I'm talking about. You leave someone's presence like that and you go, like, man, I feel really good about myself. I hope other people saw that I was hanging out with this person. And I feel really good about me when I'm around people of high glory. The inverse of that behavior is true as well. Some of us avoid people of high glory. Right? You ever like, been around someone who's just doing amazing and you just feel terrible about yourself? And you're just like, good Lord, really? You're, you're only 40 and you've done all that? Like, I hope my wife didn't hear all the things that you said you were doing because I'm tired just hearing you say what you do. Right? And sometimes we avoid people like that just so we don't feel like failures. And then the obvious opposite of all that's true. Sometimes we avoid being around people that don't have a lot of personal glory. Because, you know, maybe we don't want other people thinking that we're like that. Like, oh man, you, you didn't go to the right school, you can't seem to hold a job, you're really awkward socially, it's uncomfortably around you, you don't have a lot of personal glory, so I'm going to avoid you. And then some of us, we love those types of people and we love hanging around them because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Right? Like, oh, I love watching this show because these people are all idiots, but man, my life is not that bad. Or I like hanging around all these people who are super needy because, then again, it makes me feel good about myself. And Peter addresses this idea of personal glory, and he says it's all going to fade. People are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. 
He says, in order to agape each other, you've got to see people the way that God sees us. The other day, I'm in my office, and, uh, and we're super spoiled here. If you've never walked behind our church, go do it. It's beautiful. It's like a fairy land of deer and turkey and wild animals and toddlers. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> But the other day, I'm sitting back here, and I'm, I'm watching uh, these turkeys, and they're, they're all over the place. They're beautiful and really annoying at the same time. Um, and if you've ever seen a turkey, and you see, you know the ones with the beards? Those are the, the males, the big toms. The bigger the turkey, the bigger the tom, like the more personal glory they have. And there's always a pecking order. And the other day, I see this one poor little guy out there, and he's got this shriveled up beard. He's obviously been pecked on. And there's like three or four other turkeys that are just constantly pecking at this thing. And like my personal like values of things that need to be right, like my righteous scale is just boiling. I want to go shoot these turkeys that are picking on this poor guy because literally it was incessant. Like, like for 20 minutes, this little poor guy who's getting picked on is just running all around like, hey, accept me, accept me, accept me. And everyone's like, no, we hate you, we hate you, we hate you. And just run around, run around, run around. And sometimes I think, I, saw, I see this picture and I'm, re- I literally, I'm reading this text. All people are like grass and all their glory is like the flower of the field. And I see like, man, we have been, we live in a world where hierarchies, where everything that we see is about our personal glory. And if you're not at the level that I want you to be at, then we're just going to peck at you, peck at you and want nothing to do with you. And in order to be an Acts 2 church, here's what Peter says. He says, you cannot see people the way that our personal glory is shown. You have to see people the way that God sees us. And I love this. He starts in verse 18. Before he even gets to this point, he describes why we are all infinitely valuable. He says this. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, that, of life handed down to you from your ancestors. In other words, like your personal glory... That's empty. That's going to fade. The grass is going to fade. Your flowerly, gorgeous whatever is going to fade. But you were saved with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. I mean, if we want any chance at being a church that's described in Acts chapter 2, if we want any chance of being a church that really loves each other, we have to see each other and ourselves the way that God sees us as his children. We've got to look past the shininess. We've got to look past the, the flowers and the beautiful things that we may like to measure ourselves by. And Peter says, we have to agape one another. So how do we respond? After the conversation that Jesus had with Peter uh, back in John 21, and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter, yes, I do. And he's grieved. I love what Jesus says. He says, if you want to follow me, if you're going to do this, this is what your life's going to look like. He says, you are going to die following me. In other words, you're, you're not going to build up all this personal glory. You're not, you're not going to build up this, this resume of how you just nailed it in life. You're going to give and give and give and give until you're crucified upside down. And history tells us that's exactly what happened to Peter. 
He gave and he gave and he gave and he gave it all because he had an agape love for those around him. And I want us to be a church that loves Jesus, lives like Jesus, and makes him known. And the only way that we will ever do that is if we see each other, yes, with phileo, but with an agape love that sees ourselves and each other the way that God sees us, namely through the preciousness of his son, Jesus. So would you pray with me, and we'll finish it out with a couple songs. Father God, um, it's super important as a church to understand why we do things um, the way we do them. And it's one thing to be able to read a description about a church and say, yeah, we want that, we want that, we want that. And it's another thing to, to look at myself and to recognize my own heart and the wanderings and the way that I can be quick to judge people. Or the way that I can be quick to, and, and hesitant to jump in to join, to be associated with, with someone who may look a little different than me or different than my values or different than the things that I may ascribe personal worth to. But Jesus, if we're going to be a church in the way that you've asked us to be a church, God, I pray that we would humbly love each other the way that you love us. You tell us to love each other with a brotherly love. And then you, you bolster that and you say, love each other with agape love because we will all last forever. And what will last forever is not this body. It's not the house I live in. It's not the empires that we build here but it's my soul that you love that you gave your life for Jesus let us see people the way you do we love you and we need you amen